out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is a real legend. It is um, going to be Mike Spencer, one-time member of The Cannibals, and also he was in another band before that called, oh God, The Count Bishops. Sorry, my mind went slightly blank. But anyway, that's The Count Bishops and various other combines. Anyway, this is the interview now. Just a little bit of a word up. The sound quality is a little bit random for various reasons, which I won't go into too much. It took a bit of time to get this sorted. So at the moment, it seems like Mike is quite loud and um, I've had to, <laughs> to turn him down a bit, whereas my mic's a little bit low. So um, thankfully, I don't do that much talking, as you'll gather in the next hour or so. Anyway, look, though, this is the interview. I won't bore you with what we're going to talk about because you'll hear it now. So um, after several minutes of casual chat that gets edited out, we get down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. Mike, it's over to you. We're talking about, like, my real roots. I mean, my you know, we're talking about, like, um, uh, just being born. I mean, um, do you ever see a movie called The Help? Just Help, but that was The Beatles, but not mm. The the help the help was about um the uh the people that used to the black people that used to work for the uh, southerners um like in the 50s and 60s they used to get um jobs um looking after white babies um for you know rich mums and dads white you know uh southerners right yeah well up north we had the same thing but we treated uh, the people that worked with us a lot better. We called them domestics, mm-hmm. and uh, they usually came from down south. And uh, they looked after us while my mom uh, and dad worked. My dad had a garage, and my mom worked in uh, Abraham and Strauss, a big department store like Debenhams and whatever. And um, Mabel was um, a gospel singer, and um, she looked after me well before I was born, because uh, my sister was a bit older, and she looked after her, and then. I come along, and she used to put me on a knee, and she used to make, um, uh, she used to sing spirituals. Mm-hmm. Um, she taught me how to sing, you know, just sitting on her knee. Well, how old could I have been? Like two years old, three years old, and I knew her until, um, uh, you know, I was like in my twenties. Um, uh, she stopped looking after me. Of course, she didn't change my nappy, you know, when I was twenty, but. <laughs> <laughs> She came to my wedding and and other things, uh, but we kept in touch with the Mabel Mills. But she taught me how to do, um, um, you know, how to sing, uh, just with uh, sitting on her knee, you know, and um, and that's how I, I started singing, was um, spirituals with with her, you know. I don't uh, remember all the words, but um, I got some examples. If you want to hear some music or. You know, yeah, well, just just on that point, where just tell us what what year you were born and where where you were. This what city were you born in? I was born in Brooklyn, y'all, in Brooklyn, New York, in uh, 1947. Wow, that's almost the same year as David Bowie and Lenny were born. Yeah, well, you know, they were like my you know contemporaries. Right, and what were your and what were your parents doing in Brooklyn? They were they were making babies. That's how I come along. It <laughs> was that a twenty-four-seven job. No, but what, oh, your mum worked in a department store. What was your dad doing? He was a mechanic. 
he had a garage. 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 And he was um, uh, very, very good at what he did. He actually made um, um, the electrics work for uh, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang cars that United Artists gave him um, the contract um, so that they could be, you know, the, the equivalent of MOT over here mm -hmm. because they were only just like good for the um, uh, wherever, I don't know what, uh, United Artists or whatever the, um, uh, the movie company was uh, on, on the site, you know, on, uh, and so he made them, you know, with stoplights and everything and he was like driving all around all the parades, um, uh, Rose Bowl, um, Macy's Day Parade down Fifth Avenue, and he had the goggles, and um, um, uh, he'd be um, with, um, you know, all these celebrities, um, and uh, so he had a big garage, and he was selling, actually, believe it or not, he was the first dealer in America to sell English Fords, okay? Don't forget, America had, like, Mustang, and they had um, uh, all kinds of like galaxies and Thunderbirds, but they didn't have English Fords. And my dad was the first one to have the franchise for like Cortinas, Zephyrs, Zodiacs. And imagine, right? Imagine 1964 when you was born. Mm. Uh, I was um, um, 17, and I was driving a Cortina, brand new 1964 Cortina. He had all them, all the cars that over here, like classics. Um, and he was working on him. He had a whole, um, uh, a whole bunch of them, you know, because he sold them. Yeah. That's, that's how, um, you know, he uh, made a living, and that's how he um, he um, let me sell all the drugs, and he would sell all the cars. Fantastic. So we were 13, 1964. So this was your teen period. What were you? What was the sort of the house and the neighborhood like when you were sort of in those formative years? Well, it was a bit like, um, uh, let's say, Greece, um, um, American graffiti. You know, New York, Brooklyn in, in the in the '60s was was uh, was great. It was uh, rock and roll. It was uh, doo wops, lots of doo wops. Uh, we used to go up on the boardwalk in Brighton Beach, and this this is Brighton Beach in Brooklyn, which is like just down the road from Coney Island, and we'd we'd have little pockets of of groups. Of guys, mostly guys, and just singing doo wops, a cappella, or go to bowling alleys and sing in the foyer because it, they, they would usually be encased in glass, so the the echo would be brilliant. Mm. And you'd, you'd be singing, um, uh, you know, I'd be doing second tenor, or um, uh, sometimes lead, and uh, you know, I was singing, and I was singing even before that with my sisters. Um, uh, I told you, my sisters. I uh, was a bit older, and, and her boyfriends were a bit older. We're talking about 57, I was, what, 10? And um, uh, I'd sing um, things like um, um, Frankie Lyman would sing, uh, the um, uh, Teenagers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? so so were you were people like Frankie Valli then sort of quite an influence to you as much as the Beatles and the Stones? Not really. Uh, you mean the Four Seasons, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons? Yeah. You, the schmaltz that, that's a bit like sort of um i like i, I like mostly the black um doo-wop the black uh, r&b i mean you know yes absolutely so when you hit when you hit sort of um 63 64 were you aware of things like the beatles coming over and, and the yeah of course man i was in high school and i remember we used to have a um a gym where 
you'd have to go up and there'd be a uh, a track along the uh, the top of the gym and in each and it would be kind of like inclined so that as you're running you know centrifugal force you know that kind of like you have to like run around and if you, if you stop you fall down and so forth so in each corner there'd be a little um triangle or whatever in each corner so we'd be sitting there with a little um uh the little uh, at the time transistor radios we're talking about something about the size of a, of a nowadays um uh, uh, mobile phone and they th this is early days like transistor radios were like new at the time and we'd be listening to the to the beatles uh, in fact i remember when they had um uh, hits one two three and four or five in, in the charts you know they were they were top they were great you know so we were there i was there from uh, from the beginning yeah, you know absolutely and were you i mean so by 67 so you were sort of 20 then this is with the the summer of love which was probably different in new york than it and brooklyn than it was in san francisco so were you also kind of interested or were you sort of picking up on that sort of jefferson airplane and and say the grateful dead and Jimi hendrix and, the <laughs> and stuff like that no 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 don't go there never the grateful dead <laughs> grateful dead no way i mean hendrix yeah my first albums that I bought was um, are you experienced um, um, because I had a, I had an uncle who was a DJ uh, but in them days DJs weren't only just people that would go on the on the radio but they would be also um, uh, distributing records to the DJs so they called them DJ whatever's and he used to bring me all the records that I ever needed they you know promotional copies and all that so I never needed to buy anything but the first records that I bought um, it was one called um, 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 The Paragons Meet the Jesters, which is doo-ops, and then Jimi Hendrix, um, Are You Experienced, and um, um, Black Sabbath, that's right, I bought um, um, Paranoia, or the, the Black Album, which one was that, I don't know, but anyway, those were the first three albums that I actually went into a shop, and I actually paid money and bought. God, that was a big jump from do what to Black Sabbath, actually, and listen to Paranoid, especially, I think that was... Don't, don't forget, that was when, like, I started turning on. <laughs> like, the drugs started coming into, like, um, uh, fashion. Right. So were you, so, so in your teen years, were you still at school until you left, you know, when you were 16, 17? Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in school until actually I was in school till um into my um uh, late um nope, I was in school till I was about 26, 25, 24. Hike. Blimey. You know, you're going up and down there, aren't you? So right, so you you know, you were sort of you stuck with it. So then sort of what happened then, you know, during the sort of late 60s because obviously you know, they, you had Woodstock on your corner. Did you sort of get a little bit excited with the sort of the change in political times? Oh yeah, I was definitely um, anti-Vietnam. Uh, I was a draft dodger. I left the country on a boat because um, um, my dad had a few um, friends um, um, that um, helped uh, to get me into um, the Siemens Union uh, the year before, uh, 1968. And then in 69, when I got my draft notice, uh, I got on a ship and I just um, was going to sail, get the hell out. And I was sailing 
when my dad called and said to me, he said, he said, uh, uh, the captain come down, he said to me, uh, oh, your dad wants to, 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 we were in Baltimore at the time, and I was going to South Africa, I was going to India, and I was going all that direction, I was going to jump ship in, in South Africa and make my way up to, um, uh, uh, to Sweden, that's where all the um, draft dodgers were going. My dad called me on the ship, and he said to me, son, he said, listen, um, how would you like to go to school in Chicago, you know, to be um, a an optometrist? I said, Dad, I never even applied. He said, don't worry about it, I, you know. <laughs> would you go, you know, come off the ship and because it'll get you out of the army or getting out of the service? So I said, yeah, sure. So I jumped ship, came back home, and I went to school. I never even applied for, but that's the power of um, some of uh, the people that, you know, my dad knew, if you know what I mean, you know? <laughs> they were... Um, uh, Used to own pizza shops, if you get my drift. Right. So there's, there was an exciting sort of mafia connection with your dad. <gasps> you mustn't use that word because there might be somebody out there that um, might make the connection and, you know, come around and, um, you know, try and um, um, get back some of the favors that my dad got because um, it got me out of, out of trouble a lot of times. Yes. So you yeah. went to Chicago, which was the famous kind of route, that, and then on to, I suppose, Las Vegas, wasn't it, really? Say again? I said Chicago. It was a kind of a typical route, wasn't it? New York, Chicago, but Las Vegas was a sort of a typical kind of... Are you like, took Route 66. Well, if you ever plan a motor west... Yes, that, that sort of thing. But also that's where a lot of the kind of, you know, favours were being done, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, you're t oh, I get the drift. You mean you're talking about Al, my dad's good old buddy Al, Al C, Al C. That you know, well, you know, no, no. Chicago was um, pretty dangerous. I, I was living in the South Side, yeah, 3200 South Michigan Drive. It was um, Illinois College of Optometry, and then we had the draft lottery. Now I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was a lottery, and it was. Um, I was in the first one, and it was the biggest one because it was everybody from the ages of 18 to 35. They only had two years. The next year was only um, 18. So they would have um, balls, these um, like um, uh, table tennis balls, ping pong balls, and they'd have a number on one <clears throat> to 366, and then they'd have the dates, you know, January 1st, and then leap year. And they'd be rolling them, and then um, they'd be picking them out. And then um, uh, the numbers that would be called would be the um, order, of, you know, of people that would be drafted. Um, and um, when I got number, I think my number, July 2nd, was 352 out of 366. So I quit school straight away, you know. And then um, I um, started taking acid. Right, that's good. That's good. We, we, we're good. Did you did you progress from before the acid? Did you sort of have a sort of a, an alcohol moment and a, a bit of a speed moment and then acid, or was it just you know straight to acid? <laughs> you just have you know everything just happens all at the same time. You know you just um, you don't go from one step to the other. You just you know jump in and it's all there. It's all you know, so so were you influenced like you know when Timothy Leary was saying at Golden Gate Park in 1967, you know, tune in, turn on, drop out. Was that something? Were you 
feeling kind of a politically, yeah, you are feeling quite a politically motivated young person, aren't you, at this stage? Well, to be honest with you, uh, once I got out, once I had that draft lottery, the day afterwards, I quit school and went back. And, um, wow, how long, how much time have we got for this? Because uh, this can go. (laughs) It's good, it's good. I like it. Okay, 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 okay. So, um, I came back uh, from from Chicago, and then um, my dad got me into dental school, <laughs> you know, which was like um, the next year. So I had some time off before I started school, and um, uh, in September, so I had about eight, no, eight or eight or nine months off after quitting school in Chicago after the, the this draft lottery, and I go to. Um, um, Europe, you know, I go to, um, um, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think, was it before or after? I don't remember. All I know was that was when I started to, like, uh, really get into, like, acid. And because in in, um, uh, in Denmark, I lived in, I lived in Christiania, which is a, uh, like a, a um, uh, yeah, it was, do you know about it? I was there the first, I was there the first year that it, 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 it started in, in 70, no, in seven, no, 72. Yeah, well, it's th- become quite a famous, it's a really famous place, isn't it? And um, I've always been kind of fascinated because it kind of was like an independent state within in Denmark. And you always thought, God, this sounds like utopia. And, and sort of, I did go through a bit of a hippie phase and I thought this was, this was going to be the future. I mean, the, we, used to, we used to have uh, parties with, with, um, with punch, you know, like um, uh, fruit punch with, with acid. And we just just go drinking and just getting totally wiped out. I mean, totally wiped out. One time, I'm driving, I'm riding a bicycle down this this like little dirt road because it was like an army base, but it was like quite big in the middle of Denmark, uh, in the middle of uh, Copenhagen. And I remember riding down, and I'm, I remember seeing this bush burning because in, behind it was um, some um, um, uh, chimneys with uh, some you know, fire coming out of it. And it made it made it look like the bush was on fire because the bush was like in front of me, perspective wise, and I'm tripping on his little bike and I'm just getting off and I'm screaming my head off like I see God and I'm seeing I say, Wow and I'm going riding through the um the the all of um um the Christiania is shouting and screaming like three in the morning that I've seen the Lord, I've seen God, I've seen the burning bush, I've seen Wow, and uh, everybody just told me to shut the fuck up, man, because <laughs> it was like three in the morning, and like, um, but acid was like every day. It was it was just uh, just a part of, um, you know, you get up in the morning and um, you get high, you know? Absolutely. So this is the early 70s still, isn't it? So that's when, yes, the, the world that was still the optimism of, of this sort of future, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. So at this stage, were you also still kind of curious and interested in you'd sort of mentioned black sabbath were you also interested in those kind of other bands that were starting to sort of come up after the 60s you know like david bowie and and the sort of slight glam period as well as the sort of rock period or yeah where were you musically at this stage well at that stage i kind of like had a um a break because in the 60s um like i said we were doing doo-wops i had a band with some friends of mine in, in Canarsie, which is part of Brooklyn, um, called the Belvedere's, and um, um, we were just like doing just 
like high school things, and this is like late 60s, or garage, what you call garage now, garage, garage music, 60s garage music. And then, of course, you know, I stopped, and then, of course, was the, um, um, the college. And you see, in America, you go to college um, longer for medicine than you do over here. Over here, you go straight from high school. You know, over there, you have to get like a BS, which is like, you know, bachelor's. So you need four years. So I would have to do that. That's what I was doing. And, um, and of course, it gets you out of the, out of the service. So if you're in college, you're um, uh, classified 2S, which is like um, exempt from uh, being drafted. And so um, what was your question again? Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the musical moment, because, because obviously no, no, no. They'd, they'd been making uh, pop in the Stooges and the, and the like New York Dolls, we'd had Captain Beefheart, so I just kind of was wondering if you were kicking up on that scene. Okay, let me, let me tell you, let me, let me pick up where I left off somewhere. So what happened was, after all of the, um, uh, the nonsense with um, uh, the uh, school in Chicago and then New York, um, um, uh, and then I, I come back from... Um, uh, I come back from Denmark. Actually, I got busted in Denmark. <laughs> that was another story. But um, and I came back and I decided that you know um, uh, I didn't want to have any of this academic crap and be a doctor and a dentist or or, or anything. So I gave it all up and um, I moved into Manhattan and I moved into a loft just around the corner from the um, Chelsea Hotel. Um, literally just on the corner of it and I had um, I had an old van and I started moving bands and I started um, um, getting um, to know bands like um, uh, the Miamis were a band and they were um, uh, supporting the dolls and I, I worked with the Miamis and through with them traveling with them while they were supporting the dolls on um, in, this is in 74 um, I got to see the <laughs> I got a friend who's getting tanked up. Sorry about that. <laughs> and um, so what happened was um, I moved the dolls, and I started hanging out with the New York Dolls, and I got to meet um, Alice Cooper. I used to hang out in uh, CBGBs. Um, this is 74 now. Um, uh, Max's Kansas City used to hang out there, and uh, I, was, um, I had a band called Brooklyn Trash, and uh, then I had a band called the King Bees. And um, so, at that time, you know, I was doing um, uh, um, um, The Faces, I was doing Rod Stewart stuff, um, 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 Suffragette City, yes, I was doing um, uh, the Bowie stuff at that time, um, lots of early Stones, don't forget 74, the Stones were only like 10 years old, and um, they were doing almost the whole of the first couple of Stones albums um, to begin with um, and so we were a garage trashy um, glam I used to wear my mum's clothes I used to get um, for gigs girls used to come and uh, put makeup on and, and you know I'd had um, um, these platform um, shoes which I still got I got you know wearing satin um, uh, a bit like um, Mark Boland yeah it was, it was great it was a, a great time you know so there was also, because I did have an interview with one of the members, there's actually one only one left, but the, of Suicide as well. So he was described in that scene in New York, because you mentioned, you know, CBGB's in Max's Kansas City. Was, and it Alan? was it Alan? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, yes, that's the one. 
uh, you know people like i know people hey okay yeah. he's a cool dude and he's still yep. going but so so it was kind of an interesting scene but also there was kind of a heavy drug scene in new york at that stage i mean how were you coping with that because there's acid which is fun ish and there's you know you know other stuff to smoke which is fun but then you know the heavy hard drugs is not so good as lemmy said he hated heroin well i'll tell you i'll tell you a story i've been blessed with being allergic to um heroin right and and codeine and stuff like that because um um the first time i took um uh, just before I left, in um, I came over to England in in, in February of, of of 75, and before I came over, I went to a party and and Johnny Thunders and uh, the, all the dolls were there, and I treated them. I said, "Hey, listen, I'm going. It's my treat." And I bought um, some smack for for them, and I took a line. It was the first time, and I got sick, man. I got so sick, and I had to drive my daddy's car back from. Um, Queens to to Brooklyn, like nodding out on this road, like you know, um, on the Bell Parkway, which is like um, you know a three or four lane parkway. You know, it's it, in. Um, so I wasn't really into that, but um, we used to do a lot of downers, barbiturates. Now that was that was cool. You know, you'd go to parties, and there'd be um, uh, your um, uh, I wouldn't call it an entrance fee. Uh, you'd you'd co you'd go to parties. It'd be like a table in the middle, and there'd be a bowl, and people just come and, and throw their stuff in, and then you just take stuff out, and you, you, you pop some pills, and um, you just got totally wrecked, you know, and that's how um, we used to spend our weekends, just getting um, uh, wrecked on, um, on downers. So it's like um, heroin, but it ain't heroin, because it's like not the same. Barbiturates is um, similar, but not the same. So that was my that was my scene. Lucky break, lucky moment. Yeah, yeah, hey, listen, that wasn't the first time. I can tell you another time when somebody gave me some um, some smack, and I just got sick in a restaurant that I made, and I just puked over almost everybody's uh, food. It was these are stories that you know I've just got to um, um, write about because yeah. uh, <laughs> were really funny. I went to see um, Blue Oyster Cult, and I was this is when I was here. In, in um, um, and we had a manager, a French guy, and this is when I was in the Count Bishops, and he gave me this opiated um, whatever, and and I got sick, and I was like, you know, at the at the, at the concert. And then when we went out, we went out to a, a restaurant to eat, and I just said, I, I feel really, you know, you know, when you get sick sometimes, projectile, not just like down, but like out. Yeah. <laughs> And it was out. It was everywhere. <laughs> um, I wish I could um, direct a scene. If I could, I would. I would make it really graphic because I just puked over everybody's food. <laughs> so yeah. So 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 I've been lucky enough to be allergic to um, morphine, heroin, and um, um, and opiates like that. So but, what came first, the Count Bishops or the or the um, the cannibals? No, the Count Bishops. That was um, uh, the first um, first band uh, I formed here in in '75. So how come you found yourself from Brooklyn into to London? Well, I kind of like um, had the um, uh, I had the loft in Manhattan, and the kind of people that I wanted to work with 
were hard to find and come by because you know I, I, I was always very particular about the, the, the musicians that I worked with. I really had a, a good ear for working with um, musicians that had a special um, feeling for the kind of music. And um, when the band that I had, the last band, broke up, oops, excuse me, I decided, you know, I ain't going to stay, I'm not going to um, stay in, in uh, I, I was paying like $300 a month for this this loft on, on I think, East 24th Street. Um, um, and um, I said, look, fuck this, man. I'm just going to pick up. And I put a couple of ads in um, the, um, um, what did I, no, it was in Melody Maker that um, I saw what was happening in, in the UK. So I put a couple of ads in, um, uh, I think it was the Village Voice at the time. That was the only thing that was happening in, in New York. Um, for a last try to see if there was anybody interested to form a band. Nobody was like, you know, that good or interested. So I just said, oh, screw this. So I just said, I'm going to London. Simple. I just picked up, um, I had my, I had a, a, a nice Gibson guitar. I had a, a trunk filled with, in those days, you didn't have like 23 kilos of, uh, of uh, uh, one bag of 23 kilos and and 10 ba and 10 10 kilos of of, of carry on you could you, you know I, I went with a trunk and I still have it up in my loft I mean we're talking a trunk a big motherfucking trunk filled with records and clothes and glitter clothes and um uh um uh all kinds of cool stuff that I had worn and you know uh, when I was in New York and um, I just got here in, in, in February 75, and, um, and that's how, you know, I became um, part of the scene you over here. Scene. Well, it's interesting, because I think I did, I did an interview with a woman called Anne Magnuson, who was kind of part of the New York scene, and she did a sort of a, a similar trip in, into London during that sort of same time. So was it quite common for people to sort of want to have a bit of a, a sort of a one, you know, wandering far and wide? from New York. Was New York quite grim at that stage? Was leaving New York quite a nice kind of um, thing to do? Um, I don't know about uh, in, in, that, in that sense. It was just something I did. I mean, um, don't forget in 74, uh, there was the Dolls, there was um, 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 television. I mean, I moved bands. With my crappy old van, I had a Dodge van, a really dodgy old Dodge van, and I moved, I moved television, um, Blondie when she was in the Stilettos, um, uh, um, uh, loads of bands. Um, um, what about the Ramones? Did you come across the Ramones much? Um, at that time, now there's a story. At that time, they weren't. Um, um, I didn't see them. However, in Brooklyn Trash. We had our drummer, who was a um, uh, hairy fairy. <laughs> we used to call hairy fairy. And he was actually going out with Tommy from uh, this band, who was the original drummer with the, uh, with the, um, um, uh, the Ramones. And I was going out with Harry's wife. <laughs> and, and it was, um, um, that was my connection with the, with the I met um, Joey once at a party, but he was like um, completely brain dead at the time. You know, I just sat next to him, and this is when I was here for about a year or two, and then I went back to New York just to hang out, 
and see what was happening. And I just sat down next to Joe. I said, hey, man, what's going down? And he just looked at me. He didn't say anything. He was right. just like, well, that was him. But, you know, I'm a nice guy, but um, didn't really communicate much. <laughs> no, absolutely. So when did you, and so with the, the um, your first band, the Count Bishops, did you, did that sort of come together quite quickly? Well, it originated with um, uh, the first, the first ad that I put in, uh, when I first came here in February, I stayed in Earl's Court, um, and um, uh, I put one ad in Melody Maker, and I got two phone calls. And there was like um, a phone box in the, in this um, bed and breakfast where I was, and I was just sit there waiting for the phone to ring. The first one, first call was from a guy named Bill Carter, who um, eventually um, was um, the guitarist in um, um, uh, Motor Boys, Screaming Blue, yeah, Screaming Screaming Blue Messiahs. And so Bill was the first musician that I met here, and. Um, didn't quite work out. I mean, I went back to his gaff with his uh, girlfriend, and uh, don't forget, I was in Earl's Court, and he was living in Tooting, and I, I couldn't believe at that time, you know, wow, I had to, like, take a train and change at Kennington. I mean, you know, like, you know, nowadays, I live here in South London for, like, over 40-odd years, but, you know, it was like a, a journey to um, another, another, another part of the world. It was, like, really strange. Anyway, I found Bill was a bit odd, and then the next day I get a call from Zen, um, who had a band called Chrome, and me and him got together, and um, within a couple of days, because we, we all knew the same songs, uh, basically, which is basically um, R&B, what Dr. Feelgood was doing, um, um, uh, basically, we all kind of had the same repertoire, so I jumped straight in, and... I was singing with Chrome after just a couple of days, and then Zen and I um, said, um, let's start another band. And I said, well, let's call it the Count Bishops. Okay. And then we got Johnny, who was like um, from um, the King Bees in, in New York um, um, with me, the guitarist. He came over, and um, we got uh, Paul um, Balby from um, uh, an advert. Um, he, he came from Australia, and, um, and Stevie Lewins. And that was the Count Bishops. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you sort of managed to get a record deal with, um, is it Cheswick Records quite quickly? Cheswick. Well, you, Cheswick, you, that sounds like Leicester Square. <laughs> is that, where are you from? Are you from this country? No, that's so cute, isn't it? Sorry about that. Cheswick. Cheswick. Sorry. Yeah, Chiswick Records, yeah. Yes. So who, um, was, who was the mover and shaker who managed to get you that deal? Um, well, what happened was um, I'd just come over, like I said. i just come There's a lot of coincidences here, right? i just come over. I joined uh, with Zen, and I was, like, with Chrome. And then I went to a record shop in, um, uh, in Soho Square, and, um, and this is the truth. This is the, the, you know, sometimes the truth is, is stranger than fiction, right? This is this is the God's honest truth, right? There I am, with my back to the um, um, uh, the counter, um, I, and there was uh, this guy there selling records to somebody, and I was looking through the uh, um, the picture sleeves because picture sleeves is something very British. You, you didn't get that in America. You used to get these crappy old 
um, um, paper sleeves for, for, for 45s. But, you know, I'm going through the record sleeves. And then up comes on the... Um, the tannoys uh, was um, confessing the blues by 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 the stones and i happened to have in my pocket at that time seriously this is like wow hey the seahawk that the song was like um um in the right key and while you know they're playing this guy is playing it to some punter who's come in to buy the record i just whipped out my um my mouth organ and i started playing along and singing to it and, you know, it, like, blew everybody's mind. And it was just like, hey, you know, what? You know, WTF, I think they say, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I then just, you know, um, put it back in my pocket and go through the records. And then as I'm walking out, the guy who was um, running the shop, he, he calls me over. He said to me, wow, hey, you know, um, are you serious? Did you? <laughs> they all thought I'd planned that, like as if uh, you know I knew they were going to play that record, and I waited for it, and I, I was, <laughs> and I just said, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm in a band um, called Chrome, and um, um, uh, well, when you um, are playing next, let us know. And I didn't know that this is this is Roger Armstrong, his partner, which is Ted Carroll, um, um, had actually seen Chrome. That was before I had joined, the, the week or so before. So they knew about it, right? So then they came down and they saw when I was singing with them. And the next thing, um, why don't we make a record together with you guys? And I said, well, okay, so we got different people in the band. And um, that's when we changed the name to the Count Bishops. And we went into the studio. We went into, um, we went into um, um, the Hope and Anchor up in um, in Islington, um, uh, upstairs, Dave Robinson, who was um, eventually ran Stiff Records, um, had a studio up there, and we recorded a handful of songs, and um, um, and then um, that was not what the final lineup that was that um, um, uh, that I recorded with, which was the Pathway Sessions uh, Speedball, and. Um, um, and so that's how Chiswick Records started with um, with our record um, um, Speedball. Yes, but then at that point it was obviously because Motorhead, Motorhead were on the same label, and you supported them. What was that experience like? Because then, na 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 na, no way, Jose, no. They they got that wrong. They did an interview. Um, um, I did for um, uh, Shindig. And no, that was after me. I was only with the Count Bishops from the beginning until I think October, November of, 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 of uh, 1975. And that was with other, um, uh, either um, uh, Dave Tice or, or, or before he even came, Johnny and, and Zen were singing, um, taking over the vocals. Um, so no, I never, I never played um, uh, with the bishops when they played with um, Motorhead. Right. So, I've got and, 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 and yeah, and so again, like in that magazine, I don't know, is that what you've been reading? Is yeah. that? Yeah, no, 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 no. I, you know, you know that that's why when you go to you do an interview um, or you do a Q and A Q &A with um, um, a, a magazine. Um, it's always the editor that 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 screws it up because they don't know fuck all about what you're doing and just put the, the history of a band that without knowing the chronological order 
of who does what and who was in and who was out and all that. No. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the one thing is, Zen is killed in the car crash, isn't he? Mm. Well, he died in the hospital from the car crash, and um, he, he had an Austin, an Austin Martin, and um, he was, um, yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was tragic, you know. It was, it was it was amazing how I found out when he died. I was in the office with Melody Maker, um, and I went up there. We had a guy that was like he wanted to manage. Um, I mean, this is like very very early um, cannibals. Before the cannibals, we were actually called the Flying Tigers, and I had this guy that wanted to manage me and 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 flying tigers we went up to um melody maker <clears throat> and the guy was like um typing away and he said oh, this is mike he used to sing in the count bishops um um uh, and he's got a new band and uh blah 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 you know trying to blag a, a bit of um uh story for 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 the melody maker and the guy's typing away he said oh yeah it's sad about zen and i said yeah well you know he's an old guy he'll 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 pull through Oh, I lost you, man. Where's your... Oh, there you are. And um, he says, we know he, he died. And so that's how I found out in the offices there that he, he died in the hospital. So, and he was, um, he was, he was, he was, he was okay. You know, I, I really felt bad. We, well, we all felt bad, but that, that, that ended the Count Bishops, you know, because then was like the, the spark plug. And I was the, what was I? If he was a spark plug, I must have been the... Um, Fuel, fuel tank. <laughs> well, I certainly wasn't the spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're definitely. You must. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was. Um, I, but I missed him. You know, I, I, he was. He was a friend. He was a not just another musician. Uh, he was. He was. Uh, I felt really bad, especially hearing it that way up in the. Uh, but, oh, I'll tell you what happened. I, I, I hope you don't mind me, like digressing because. No, um, fine. Stories are like uh, easy enough to just go fact um, after fact after fact. But in those days, um, the pubs used to uh, close at three and open at about five. And sometimes, if you were lucky, you'd get um, uh, what's called a lock-in or whatever. Uh, they'd lock the doors and they'd pull the shades down. You could drink as much as you want. And um, so we got totally wrecked. Me and this guy that wanted to manage us, and so when we went up to, um, like I said, Melody Maker, I was totally, totally tanked up. I was really um, quite upset because I was drunk as as could be, and you know, to hear that your good friend had, wasn't just in the hospital, you know, from the crash, but it actually died. So that was very tragic for me for to hear it that way. So there you go. Yeah, no, that's horrible. It's horrible moment, yeah. But then, you know, obviously the cannibals start straight after that. No. Cannibals began um, in, um, there was, there was um, we, we were still the Flying Tigers for a while. And um, we um, were, actually we were called the Comets. For, for, actually, we were called the Comets for one gig, but we didn't do the gig. Because we went to um, where the gig was. And it was in a um, um, a teddy boy club in um, Carl Shorten. And 
I went down there, and somebody said to me, Mike, he says, I wouldn't go down there as the Comets to that place for that crowd. I said, well, why not? I said, well, go down there and you'll see for yourself. So I went down there with some with some girl, this, um, this nurse that I knew, that a lot of people knew, <laughs> and I went down there and um, uh, I went for a slash, and all of a sudden in the toilet, they were smashing um, this guy's head against the, um, I mean, it was like heavy, you know, Ted's and um, Rockers were like, um, not the kind of crowd you want to play, um, the kind of rock and roll we were playing. It wasn't very traditional. We didn't wear those kind of traditional clothes, and we didn't want to, you know, go in there as the Comets. So we bowed out at that game, uh, that 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 uh, that gig. But it, I, I have the paper, with the clipping with us being advertised, even though we didn't do it. No, we um, we were the Flying Tigers for a short while, and then. I found in the newspaper, in I think it was either the, I believe it was the Sun, and it was a, a Joe Franklin had a, a cartoon um, he used to put in in the Sun, and it, this is when punk was just beginning, and um, one of the um, uh, one of the characters that he drew was cannibals, and I just said, wow, hey, that's the name I want, and that's how we were doing a gig. Um, I think the Lord Nelson, we were doing a gig. As the Flying Tigers, and I just got up on stage, and I told everybody, including the band, for the first time, I said, "Hey, guess what? We're now called the Cannibals," and that's how, you know, um, uh, we we became the Cannibals, you know, by just um, saying it, you know, because um, uh, that's how I wanted it to uh, to be. Yes, absolutely. And who was the core band at that stage? Because um... Obviously, it's changed a lot over the years, but what was the sort of the main lineup on that very first EP and single and album? Um, which which one? The first Cannibals. Yes. Um, the first Cannibals. Um, it was um, Ben, um, Ben Donnelly, Peter Gunn or Peter Staines, and Tony Oliver, who eventually went on to be the Inmates. And um, we had Dino on drums, and um, it was a it was a great um, uh, great session. In fact, it was one of the um, most favorite John Peel's most favorite song, and it's in his box of um, all time um, um, favorite 45s. Um, and it was um, the Two Summer Call song, Nothing Takes the Place of You, and it was the B-side, because the A-side was the um, song by the Standells, Good Guys. Right, this is John Peel gave you the sort of the kind of the blessing, who obviously we all love. Hey, but let me, let me, let me, let me tell you how fate works, okay, now, 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 this is, this is really strange, right? When we were the Count Bishops, um, he was working for Sounds, this is like when I was the Count Bishops, right? before um, we kind of like went our separate ways, which is another story. I don't want to even want to begin that. that, that that's a whole trip in itself, right? And so we um, were playing the Kensington pub in, um, uh, in Kensington, and um, we get a write-up in, um, in Sounds a, a couple of, uh, the week after, and it's from John Peel, who I'd never heard of before, and he wrote us up because he wrote us up as the bishop's count, right? And he said that the reason that he came into the pub was because he thought, well, 
there's a strange name for a band, the Bishop's Count, and that's how we were advertised. It was the only time, and he came in and he saw us, and um, um, and, and that's the first um, uh, coincidence. Then when we put out um, Good Guys, they made a mistake with the label, and they made the mistake where the A side was um, 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 Nothing Takes the Place of You instead of Good Guys, which is what we intended. And the pressing plant called me up and I said, well, keep a couple of the um, uh, misprints and we, we'll get the labels reprinted because the, the sleeve, everything was Good Guys as the A side. And I knew John from being his like, um, uh, well, I don't know what you'd call it, just um, his scout. I would go and help him with, um, uh, I would introduce him, I introduced him to the Sniveling Shits, to a few other bands um, we'd meet, and um, um, in the Greyhound, and I, I, I tell him about bands, this is when punk was just taken off. And um, we gave him the record, but I gave him the one where um, Nothing Takes the Place of You is the A-side, the misprint, there was only a handful of them done. So of course, when you're gonna play something, if you ain't got enough time, you usually play the A-side. Normally, people would make the A-side um, uh, what they would want as the, um, to catch the air, you know? And so it was just by accident that he played the A-side, nothing takes the place of you, and he fell in love with it. If he'd have played the proper single, the one that was reprinted with uh, good guys, he probably might never have played um, uh, Nothing Takes the Place of You. So, you know, the coincidence of like these kind of like, do you see where I'm going with this one? You know? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, and obviously at that stage, you know, there was the excitement of punk that was happening with, you know, the Sex Pistols and Malcolm McLaren. And we'd had bands like the Eaton and the Roxy Club had started for sort of 100 days into in 1976. And, and also people like Miles Copeland were on the scene organizing punk gigs. Were you kind of picking up on all that exciting vibe? No. That's a good answer. <laughs> Because, well, because, well, to be honest with you, I, I was friends with Joe Strummer. When he was in the, when I was in the Count Bishops, he was in the, there were three bands in 75 at the same time. We were all kind of like neck and neck with, um, uh, we, we were the end of the pub rock see, um, scene just before punk came in. It was the 101ers with Joe Strummer and the rest of the guys, and it was the Count Bishops with me and, and, and so forth, and it was Eddie and the Hot Rods. And we were like the last at that time of the, the, the pub rock. And then, of course, punk come in. And um, and Joe came to me one day, said to me, um, we were in Soho Square, um, we went out for a drink. He said to me, and this is just after the 101ers had played at the Nashville and the Sex Pistols had played before them and blew them off the stage and it was like they blagged way into the gig. It's a famous, famous gig. And Joe says, Mike, you order, why don't you become a punk? This is great. I'm, I'm giving up this 101ers and this R&B stuff. And, um, and I said, no, Joe, I really love doing rock and roll, R&B, and I'm not into punk. You know, I'm not into that. I'm, I'm more into the musical side of the rock and roll. I mean, you know, punk is great, you know, I, but most of the punk that I would, you know, call punk was just like, just bang, 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 you know, and R&B and rock and roll and rhythm and blues, 
that we were doing had a um, completely different mythology. It was like, um, it was a different feeling. It was like a rhythm guitar and lead guitar or two rhythm guitars, like Chuck Berry, okay, for example, is like a, um, a rhythm guitarist who plays lead in a rhythmic way. Um, as opposed to, let's say, um, um, Eric Clapton or, 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 you know, Eric Clapton and, and, and like that. And so, you know, I, I said, no, Joe, I, I just, I like doing um, um, uh, Chuck Berry. I like doing Early Stones. I like doing um, uh, my own stuff that was similar. And um, I, I wasn't into just straight punk. And of course, the rest is history um, where he went off with them. In fact, before... He even met, um, what's his name? Um, uh, yeah, Mick Jones. When Mick Jones would come into, don't forget, um, at that time, Rock On Records and the, the record shop in, um, in Soho Square was famous for like a meeting point. And, and I remember after my um, departure from uh, the, the Count Bishops, um, um, he came up to me. Um, uh, and, and he asked me if I wanted to sing with him. That was uh, Mick Jones, and uh, I said, no, I'm sorry. You know, and of course he went off with uh, with, with Joe, and again, the rest is history, and uh, here you go. But no, I wasn't really, in, I wasn't really that excited about uh, punk at the, at the time. The only band was the Pistols because they were so different from your mainstream punk, which was just, to me, um, just boring. You know, it's just like screaming and, and the music. Oh, you know, it's great to have um, uh, the, the, the chance for, for young bands to just um, um, smack out a tune with just like three chords. But, you know, the Pistols had some real class when they played. And I really still listen to their stuff. And, and I love um, uh, very intelligent the way they, they would um, put their, um, their production and everything. So... Um, um, going back to your first answer, no, I wasn't really turned on by what was happening at the time. But Malcolm, did he approach you? No. What he did was he approached um, Roger Armstrong. I didn't know about this until years later. And Roger was like um, with Chiswick Records and um, uh, I told you earlier on, Roger and, and um, Ted Carroll started Chiswick Records. And we were playing up at Ronnie Scott's and we did a, uh, two gigs where Malcolm came and he heard about this wild American um, complete nutcase. I mean, I was really off my rocker. I mean, I'm I'm telling you this, the shit that I used to pull, um, um, uh, but it was rock and roll, you know? And he heard about it and he came, but I didn't know until a few years later that Malcolm had come up and um, um, had um, uh, approached Roger, uh, uh, to see if um, he'd be interested for me, because he knew that I had a contract with Chiswick Records. This is Malcolm, and Roger told him to bugger off, and um, uh, I missed out on that. I, I I really did not know until years later, which pissed me off big time. Yes. I mean, can you imagine me singing, "God Save the Queen"? You know what I mean? Hey, you know, the fascist regime. You know what I mean? Eh? Yeah, I couldn't do it with a Brooklyn accent, so I'm really glad. That um, uh, I really love the Pistols. I love um, the, the the way Johnny Rotten sings, and I could never have done it anyway. So things worked out for the best anyway. Yes, absolutely. 
And during that sort of that period, it took a while before you got your first album out. Did um, yes? What was the reason for that? Why it took so long for us to get the first album out? Yes. Um, the first album came out in 1982. Um, I don't know. We, we put out maybe six or seven singles in the meantime. We put out Nadine. Um, um, uh, we put out, um, uh, well, I can't think of all the names, but we put out loads of singles. And um, I just didn't think about making an album. Um, and we didn't have the money for it to, to start with. And, um, um, and we didn't have enough songs. That's because uh, uh, the first album is all originals um, uh, that uh, I'd written. And, um, I, I don't really have a specific reason except that that's the way, you know, things happened. Um, it just took a little bit longer than usual. Yes. Well, I, I suppose it's because doing a lot of these interviews, most bands have a, a that five-year narrative. They have, you know, the 12-month honeymoon period. They get a single out, John, you know, John Peel gives it a play, they get a John Peel session, then the first album comes out quite quickly. And it's often the second album bands struggle with, and definitely the third album. So. But, but but we didn't have we didn't have a label you see we had it was just us it was just my the the, the um the first single the one that John Peel played was on Big Cock Records right I'm sitting in a pub with um, uh, Giovanni D'Adamo I remember um, exactly the moment that we we were looking for the name of a label and we were in a Courage pub and the the, the cockerel was the um, um, uh, the uh, the icon or the, the logo for, for Courage. And I just said, let's just call it um, Big Cock Records. And that was the first single um, we put out, which was Mike Spencer and the Cannibals on Big Cock Records. And um, John Peel, he couldn't... Um, I've got a few um, um, uh, uh, recordings of, of, of his show where he would introduce, because um, he loved the record, um, Nothing Takes the Place of You, but, and one of and one of his um, um, introductions for us on, on the show, he said, oh, I, I can't really say the name of the label because it's rude, and he whispers, it's rude, and I can't tell you the name of the catalog number because it's rude, because it was F-UK um, U2. <laughs> so, <it> was, <laughs> so, you know, but, um, yeah, so that's how... Um, did I answer your question? Was yes, there a qu you, you, did, you did slightly answer the question, because I suppose at that time, you know, punk lasts for a few years, and then you had that sort of bit of a post-punk, then, you know, in America, you, you know, especially New York, there was the rockabilly scene, because you had bands like the Rockettes, and then the Stray Cats, and then in this country... <laughs> Can I tell you a little story about the Stray Cats? Yes, the Stray Cat story. Well, the Rockettes, I love the Rockettes story. Yeah, the Stray Cat. I'm living in um, just up the road from where I am at the moment, um, and I took a little bit. I, I dropped some acid, and then me and me and Johnny, Johnny Mother Johnson, we went up to the um, the venue in in Victoria, and the Stray Hats, the Stray Hats, the, the Stray Cats had just played, um, and in the venue. There was like a, a, a private room or a private um, um, a bar upstairs. And in that bar was um, um, a pool table. 
and I don't know how I, I really was off my skull at the time. And we go in there, me and Johnny go in there, and there's Slim Jim, the the drummer, um, and they're from Brooklyn, or he was from Brooklyn. And he's playing pool, right? So I just say, hey, I'll have you game of pool because I like pool, and in Brooklyn, that's how. You know, used to hang out in pool halls and all that stuff. So I'm playing pool with him. This is like oh, almost 11 o'clock. I'm playing pool and I'm wiped out on acid. And um, um, I'm beating the hell out of him. I'm knocking him. I'm, I'm just dropping them balls, blang, blang, blang. And he goes over to the bar and he tells the barman something. And the barman comes over. It's only just me, Johnny, Slim Jim, and the barman. And like it's like near enough to closing time, so just before the chance for me to like completely wipe him off the table and get the last ball down, the, the barman comes over and he just wipes the whole table. He says, "All right, that's it, guys. Game's over. You know, end of night." And you know, it was because he didn't want to be beaten, right? This is Slim Jim, so <laughs> we we just we just we laughed, and we we left and we walked out and we went. I must have driven there because I, I'm, I'm sure I drove there somehow. <laughs> and he's across the road, and we're just taunting him and, and taking the piss out of him because calling him a sore loser because he couldn't he couldn't uh, take me beating him in, in in a game of pool. So that's my story. <laughs> but um, yeah, there you go. Isn't yes. that a load of um, uh, how much time did that take to just waste? Uh, I could have told. No, that's that's a, that's a good story. Oh, but then the 80s come along and you sort of, you create your own record label, don't you? Um, yeah, hit records. That's uh, shit without the S. <laughs> nice. So the 80s, this is, you really stepped up a gear here because there's some sort of a bit of a slow start. You, you release about six albums in one, in one decade. Mm, yeah. So what happens in the 80s that suddenly spurs you on so much? Ah, I had um, just um, um, recorded. We, we, what happened was we kept changing people. Um, on on occasion, we would every time we'd get another person in to the band. The band, the Cannibals, were known. Almost everybody in London would say, "Oh, I went down for rehearsal." I went down for an audition, or I went down. I played with uh, one gig, or whatever. Because we're famous for like, um, like John Mayo's um, um, uh, Blues Breakers. He had like so many different people in a band, and we we had so many different cannibals. It's been like if you look on our Wikipedia, there's at least a hundred. You know, oh, there is a lot, aren't there? It's a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so every time we would, um, every time we would get somebody in. Um, or somebody would say, oh, I'm going to be leaving. We'd go into the studio and we re we would record our set because it would always change with new people coming in and new blood and all that stuff. So we had so many different recordings. I have got, uh, a, I have got a, um, I, I can't tell you how many, I've lost track of all these master tapes from all the different sessions. So we just said, well, let's make records. Let's, 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 um, um, press him, and that's how we just kept um, recording, getting new people in. Um, almost every album has different people on it, and it's a different, um, um, a different lineup. And uh, so we just have made um, um, different, um, different songs with different people. Yeah. You know. 
But do, does on your second album, Trash for Cash, does that get picked up by Homestead Records? Oh, man. Oh, Homestead Records. Yeah. Wait, just a, can you just wait a second? Okay. Yeah. All right, good luck with the rest of it. You like it? Yeah, that's cool. Enjoy it. <laughs> See you later. All right. All right, mate. I have a friend. No, I was just going to say, because I did an interview with a band yesterday who were on Homestead Records called uh, the Big, or called Big Dipper, and um, yes, and they, they, and I sort of went, oh, you were also on the label as well for a while. I'm going to show you. I didn't expect this to happen, so this is just by chance. Um... Um, I, I don't know if you could, um, I'm going to, let me see, because I'm going to go. Yes. Okay, now, Max Rose, now, um, okay, all right, uh, you can't see it. Anyway, we um, financed our own East Coast tour of America, right? And we were at the time we were we were signed with Homestead, and they never even came. We we, we headlined at CBGB's, and um, they never even came to the gig, and they never sold anything. They never they they never promoted the band. They never did anything. So um, I just like. Um, we pressed the records and changed the sleeve, and I took their name off of it, and that's how, um, um, that's how um, our very brief um, um, relationship with Homestead Records. But I, I'll tell I'll tell you what, even if you can't see it from a distance, this little piece of paper here, yeah. let's just say from an A4, I would say maybe six, we duplicated them and just just cut them. This is like you know. 1985 from London 1985 summer US trash tour the cannibals right when we got there we had no equipment we had no place to stay and we had um, uh, no equipment no place to stay we had no transport and we took these things with us which are which I, I made hundreds of you know you only need like 30 sheets and then cut it into six or whatever and we put it out on the first gig, which was in um, Rick's Calf Underground in Worcester, Massachusetts, right, on August the 1st, 1985. And from that first gig, we got groupies, we got equipment by the bands, we got transportation. All these girls would take us um, from gig to gig to gig. We never had any problem. In fact, we had bands were fighting to let us use their equipment when we um 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 uh when they supported us we there was uh, the um lots of bands um um we played maxwell's we played um yeah yeah and i'm just saying uh, let me just read to you he says the cannibals are a trash band they are a garage band they need places to sleep for the night rides to the next gig and equipment etc etc Feel free to approach the band with any help in these directions. Our survival depends on your generosity. And f like I say, from that first night, 
We had girls coming up to us and say, "Ooh, would you come back with us?" We had a band saying, "Oh, we're going to do. Um, um, uh, we could let you have our van and um, our equipment, and the girls would drive us in the band." And it was like absolutely um, amazing how, from nothing, we had a whole tour um, um, uh, laid on to us um, by 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 punters, by by fans, you know, and drugs. <laughs> there was a guy that was Andrew, there was one guy kept coming around with um I said, Get lost, get leave us alone, leave us alone and then towards the end I said, What is it that you got in your bag? And he said, Oh, I just got some speed. I said, Oh and then we became a good friend he was like with us every time for the last few gigs. But uh, we had every we had it all just we were it's something about the cannibals as a rough and ready band, we never were we were always just um for example in the rider we never got much money from it because we, we had crowds but people didn't know about us but we had a rider that um and i made all these gigs from 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 this house actually i was living here in this house in 82 so in 85 i'd been here a few years um we had i made sure that besides the money we'd get a bottle of wild turkey now, there's just so much wild turkey you can drink. Um, I mean, do you know about wild turkey? It's, it's a bourbon. It's 101 proof. They have 86, but we always ask for 101 proof. And we had, like, extra bottles, and we'd be getting into these cars with these girls driving us, like, three cars with, like, two guys in, in each one of the cars. And one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the, 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 in the trunk of one of the cars was all of our clothes and guitars and the other, the other cars. And one of the bottles or a couple of the bottles um, broke and all of our clothes, because we could never, we could never stay more than a few hours and then go on to the next gig. And um, all of our clothes were drenched in wild turkey. So for the last four or five days, Everything that we did, everything we wore, from the socks to the clothes to the trousers to the to the, to whatever, was stinking of of wild turkey. It was it was it was great. But um, you know that's how we um, we we uh, we went to. Uh, <laughs> you know, listen. We could talk about um, uh, the things that most people talk about. But I, if you don't mind, I tell you some some funny things. Um, we got totally drunk. We played in um, um, where's the American the naval base um, uh, in, in Annapolis. Um, anyway, we played um, and there's some some navy guy um, said, "Oh, come back to my place," and he had a waterbed, and everybody was on this waterbed. He had one of these really big waterbeds, <laughs> and I was so so drunk. I was so drunk. Um, and they're all trying to sleep, and I'm jumping up on his waterbed, and everybody's bouncing up in the air, getting sick because everybody was so drunk as well. And I went out in the middle of the road, and I just lay down in the middle of the road with the on the white line with my hands out, daring cars to to, to drive back and forth, and to, I mean, and they had to like pick me up, and the band had to carry me back, and they had in the toilet was. Somehow, a, a, a little hole somewhere. I I didn't make it. It was just I don't know what it was. <laughs> I watched this girl, and that you might think I'm kinky, but I was just fucked up. That's all. <laughs> and I go, and I think girls were in the toilet, 
And the next thing I know, they stick a, a, a drumstick and hits me right in the eye. <laughs> the, the other, and I'm like going through the rest of the tour with, my, with a patch on my eye. <laughs> I mean, I, I had fun. We all had fun. Yeah. We, had, we had fun. We, you know, I mean, a lot of bands have fun. I mean, we're not the only band that that did stupid things like that, but we did them, and, and we had um, great fun. And um, we've lived um, to tell the tale, well, I have at least. Well, that, yeah, absolutely. But then what happens when you do, you do this, uh, the album and the Lord said, let there be trash. But then after that, does the band come to a slight hiccup or halt? Is that the last one? I can't remember. Yes, it's, it's, it's 91. So you probably recorded it about 1990. Well, we had recorded a whole bunch of songs. Yes, oh man. Oh, you're really trying to bring me down. I'm not, why are you doing this to me? This is really sad. Really sad. We, um, we went into the studio, Mill Hill Music Complex. I have uh, I have a 16-track half-inch machine, and they had a, a, the same. And so I brought my machine in, which was a, a little bit better, a G16. And it somehow something there was a switch on the back. All there was was a little switch on the back that we we, we didn't we didn't realize between the front and the back for controlling it. Anyway, it didn't work out, and so we recorded a whole album on their, um, the, the digitally, on their software. So we are going to record it both ways. So it only got recorded on, um, and this is about 16, so many really good songs. Um, and we, so we recorded at least an album's worth of material. And um, I kept asking the guy, Cam, who was the the prat, the, the the asshole, who was the engineer, for the copy of the of the session, and he kept giving me excuses, and we kept calling up the studio. The next thing we know, he does a runner because they owed him money, or he had some disagreement with the with the, with the owner of, of of the studio, Mill Hill, and he wipes everything off of the computer, including our session. And so we lost everything. We lost a whole album's worth of um, um, material. And uh, that's how that ended. Um, we've been trying to um, redo it, but we've recently lost um, one of our, the main guitarists that um, defined the sound of, of, of the Cannibals, um, Jay, Jay Whiffen. Um, he, he passed away last year. And so without him, it, 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 it just won't be the same. So we've been trying to, me and one of the other guys, I've uh, been trying to um, get the, um, uh, from um, rehearsals and all that, some of the songs together, but we've kind of like, uh, with this pandemic, um, it, it's difficult for us to get together. The drummer had caught COVID, um, the bass player had a, had a cancer and he's, he's recovering from it and um, Jay's gone. And the only one left, really, is me and this crazy Frenchman, Patrice. Right. So, so we've been trying to um, remember. This is back in the 90s. So we've lost a lot of um, a lot of things. 
I've got to interject here and, and, and tell you that I took a, a break from the band to do my radio. And I had a lot of experiences doing radio um, over the years and kind of like put the cannibals on the back burner. And um, so it's been a while since um, any of us had remembered even some of these songs. So we, we, we do have maybe half of them, but there's no band left for doing it, you know, because... Um, it's just difficult without the um, uh, the same people, you know. Yes, absolutely. So, so basically, well, not basically, but you know, from from the '90s onwards, you know, the Cannibals and and your sort of musical moment with them, kind of just gets hit on the pause button. Then. Yeah, yeah, but um, we've accomplished quite a bit, and <clears throat> if I stopped right now, I'd be proud of what we've done up until now. I mean, we have um, um, influenced a lot of bands. I mean, wherever I go, um, I'll, I'll meet up with people from, from bands. Um, they're bands now that are um, quite well known. Um, um, uh, the um, uh, uh, Daddy Longlegs. Do you ever have Daddy Longlegs? Fair, fair, oh, man, brilliant. I mean, three guys from Brooklyn. Uh, travel around the world. They're, they're just unbelievably great. And when I go up to see them, and I say, "Hey, I really love you guys," and um, um, uh, you know, um, uh, oh, it's Mike. Uh, yeah, we know you. We 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 know about the cannibals. Um, uh, the mummies. Um, I go up to the mummies um, after they do a gig in in London. They sell out and all that. And 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 a chat and say, oh yeah, Mike. Yeah, we know we know about the cannibals. A lot of people knew and know about the cannibals. We've influenced a lot of people. We started the trash scene. Um, a lot of people will remember um, the clubs that I ran. So, you know, there's just so much. I, 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 I've wanted to end the band years ago because I've always felt that when the time is right, and I feel when the time is right, end it, Mike, when it feels right. Don't become a caricature of yourself. Don't become a parody. Uh, don't. Um, I mean, I've seen people, and I won't mention who, that are friends that have gone on for too long, and they've. I wouldn't say made fools of themselves because that that's um, uh, disrespectful for what they have done. But I wouldn't want to become like that, you know. And um, you know, I've. Um, um, I'm 74 almost, you know, and, and, and I've done my bit and, and I'm proud of it. And um, um, you look at Jagger, he's a bit older, but, you know, look, the guy's got money and he's got um, um, uh, private um, uh, um, uh, dietitians and he, he never, he doesn't do any, any drugs or anything. He exercises, I mean, but, you know, I'm, you know, living a good life. I have a, a beer. I have uh, my exercise here. I got to do my exercise tonight. Yes, I can see your dumbbells. So did yeah. you, I mean, did you sort of, was that the last time you played live was like 1990, 91, or have you? No, 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 no,
um, um, uh, endlessly, and, and you say, no, no, I don't want to do it, but, you know, uh, it is nice, you know, getting up on stage, but, I, you know, I don't look the same, I don't feel the same, I don't sing the same, and um, uh, I've done it, uh, and I'm, I'm glad. So we did a gig in, the last gig we did in this country was at the Dublin Castle about three years ago. I got posters um, on the walls, just the cannibals, Mike Spencer, the last gig. And then we get um, uh, somebody in, in Holland who says, oh, I want to put you on. Oh, oh. So we do that one um, two years ago, a year later. And then a year after that, um, a victor from um, a band called the, um, the Parkinson's said, Mike, I missed that gig, but I'll make a gig for you in Portugal. And, um, and so that was our last gig. And that was our last gig, because um, after that, um, last year, like, Jay, Jay passed away, and um, like I say, um, there's just no way we can replace somebody like that. He was just like, the, the sound that made, that defined the Cannibals as a, as a trash band. And a trash band is something you, you can't... Um, explain you just have to hear you know we fuzz guitars um uh, different uh, it's just a sound that i have um nurtured and developed over the years by choosing the right people to work with writing the right songs um um and um uh, for example i'll give you i'll give you a funny example we played with um um Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood had two members that played with with me in my bands. One was uh, Johnny Guitar after the Count Bishops. He played with Dr. Feelgood for a couple of years. And then we go and we play with Dr. Feelgood in, in um, supporting them in, in Rennes in France. And who is playing guitar there but this guy Gordon, Gordon Russell. And we had a good laugh. Gordon Russell played with the Cannibals for two gigs in the in the early 90s. And a uh, lovely guy, so there's no problem with him as a person. But he looked too much like Barry Manilow. <laughs> he, he didn't fit. He had lovely blonde hair. He was always completely washed. And, and he wore just really nice clothes. And he played really just didn't sound trash and we said to him i said you know gordon i'm sorry but you know it's uh it just don't fit in with us it, it it's not trash it's a special sound that i am proud to have developed and picked the right people that emulate that particular sound and um, um, uh, to describe it is, is difficult. You have to listen to it in order to understand my definition of trash. The yeah. trash. I mean, I used to, I used to try and, I used to try and, um, oh, we still got time, I'll be all right for time. Okay, good, 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 good. I mean, I used to, um, you know, in, I, I know I've gone on a lot about getting out of it and, and acid and blah, 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 and getting, I mean, the things that I've done um, would amaze you, some of the um, uh, stupid things. 
but I was intelligent in a way. Uh, pardon me for being a bit pretentious, but I'm sorry. And I knew that to, to start a scene, most scenes had a clothing ethic to go with it. For example, the dolls had their, um, uh, the way they dressed. Um, uh, the mods and um, so forth had the way they dressed. The punks had the way they dressed. And I thought trash would have been a great way of um, creating, um, without, without um, don't forget, things have changed over the years. When we first started with the with the, with the trash movement, and I, I remember the day that we, I said, "Let's look. I'm sick. I'm sick of punk. Uh, let's call ourselves something. Hey, trash. That's what we are. Let's call it trash." So that's how the trash movement began, and uh, nights of trash, uh, my, my garage club, and all that. And so I said, you know, instead of all these fancy clothes and and uh, going down. King's Road and getting punk stuff that's you know ridiculously expensive. I went to jumble sales and I bought bags and um, bags of, of 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 cheap clothes. I mean, you you could literally stuff a big black bag and, and just give them a, a pound and and they'd be happy with it. The, the churches, you know, and I had the rack, a big rack that I painted green, and. I wanted to just go and like trash these clothes up, a little rip here, a little tear there, burn a little hole here, just trash it up a bit and just hang it up and tell people take it for free so people would start dressing like that um, and coming to the gigs dressed as, as, you know, in trash clothes and rip their clothes off and, and get other ones and, um, but um, it didn't take off, uh, even when we went on tour. I'll put all my clothes that I used to wear, I mean, really trashy clothes, in a bag. Um, and uh, you'd ask the guys, they'd all be great musicians. Now, don't get me wrong, the sound that I'm talking about is the, is, is, is the right sound. I love the sound of, of, of most of the um, cannibals that we've done, um, you know, we recorded. Um, but um, the guys wouldn't, they would be a little bit self-conscious about wearing... Like for example, we played in in Japan, and and and, and Jeff, uh, I just had a pair of old trousers that I got in a, in a in a in a secondhand shop, and I just took it outside just before the gig, I tied it in a knot, and I burnt it, and then I just blew it out, and he had a big hole that looked burnt, and you know it was just trashy, you know, where you take some dirt and you you, you know you just look trash, but the guys wouldn't um, would wouldn't go out and get it for themselves, so they'd go through. My bag, I never carried suitcases. Everything was always on tour with a plastic bag, a big black, you know, garbage bag with filled with clothes. And they'd take my clothes and they'd wear it. And um, and that's how, you know, they would look great. Uh, there's so many pictures of, of, of the cannibals looking really trashy, but it's all my clothes. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, there's one of Johnny with my, my leather jacket um, with, with pink on the back, um, uh, trash, uh, they, with pink paint. And, um, uh, one guy, we, we played in France, and one guy was, was painting this... Um, 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 this old-fashioned um, um, buggy for his, his child, and he had the wheels uh, just 
you know, those old wire wheels, like from the turn of the century, whatever. And I just took my, my leather jacket and I put it against it one way and then against it the other way for like a cross against and and you know just things like that and 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 you'd see other members wearing it and uh, they say wow that looked really cool but <laughs> it's always been my clothes never no, nobody ever really went the extra mile to go and form um, um an image of their own it was always my image yes and when was the what was the last time you um you saw Jay. Did you have a sort of a moment where you could say goodbye to him? No, no, no. You mean at the funeral? Well, no, just before he passed away. I guess you. No, 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 no. no. We um, well, the pandemic stopped it all, didn't it? Um, and uh, we just um, we just um, um, we just heard that he just died in his sleep. You know, he didn't die from Corona, he died, it just, um, Jay was like, well, I, I don't want to say too much, but Jay, Jay didn't look after himself. He um, got a, a bit overweight, and it was really funny with Jay. Whenever we, wherever we went, he would just have chicken and Mars bars. He'd always have a Mars bar, and if we'd go out to a restaurant, you know, because whenever you're playing... Um, uh, if you're headlining or whatever, you know, the, you'd always be taken out by the promoter to a restaurant, uh, in the, especially abroad. And he'd always just order chicken, 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 chicken. So, you know, he got overweight and he greasy food and he lived with his mum and dad, for, you know, almost all his life. And um, he just, um, his dad went up to his uh, room and... Um, to get ready for his work, he lived out in um, in Great Dunmo in 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 Essex and um, near Chelmsford, and uh, he was he was gone and uh, and that and that and that's it. So um, right, it, it, I sort of I suppose I was thinking it must was it cancer, but it wasn't. It was a heart attack then. Well, yeah, they 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 yeah, that's what they said. You know, a heart attack. But he didn't look after himself, and um, he was great. I mean, uh, he was eccentric. He was he was he was different as a person. He was unique as a guitarist. He was you you can't his solos uh, his his everything about his playing was just irreplaceable. You know, I mean, honestly, I mean, honestly, I mean, I have played with so many really 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 good musicians. I've been proud. And I'm very, um, I'm honored that I've had such great musicians um, that have played in the Cannibals. Um, and, um, uh, and they've all been extremely proficient. And, and Jay was just like exceptional. And, um, uh, and we just, we put up with his quirks. I mean, the last gig we did, the very, very last gig we did in, in Portugal, something during the sound check, Something was amiss with his his guitar. One of the pickups, or one of the, um, I don't know, one of the toggle switches, and he took his Vox guitar. He had a, a vintage '60s Vox guitar, and he took it and he threw it across the stage. And um, you know, and hey, you know, the guitar is worth a few grand at least. And um, Patrice is, a, is is we all put up with Jay the way he was. 
<laughs> one time we played down in Gossips, and Gossips on in the West End. Um, try and park in the West End at six o'clock. I mean, you know, um, and he couldn't find a place to park. He he brought his his fender in. He brought it downstairs, and um, uh, and uh, he couldn't find a place to park. So he rushes back down again after running around, after driving around. Um, several times, and he, he's freaked out everybody. He grabs his guitar, grabs his, his amp, and he ru gets up this, I'm, fuck off, man, I'm getting out of here because I can't find a place to park. And we had to, like, calm down, Jay, calm down, and Patrice had to go and get, and get him in the car and, and get a, some place to, to park for him. I mean, he was very um, impulsive. Yes. Very tricky. Now, look, if you could have said something to a, a 16 or 18 year old starting out, well, you know, just what advice would you have you got or what what would you want to impart on somebody you know, that you were thinking, actually, this would be a really good thing to, to do or, or, or look out for? What music wise? Well, music and life. Well, music wise. <laughs> Don't take any lessons. Learn like I did by yourself, by using your ear. Your ears are the most important teaching things. Um, uh, you can, uh, like I'm playing the drums now. I've never had a, I never took a lesson in, in uh, to play guitar. And I, I've written over a hundred songs. I play, you know, just, I mean, the more you learn from somebody, their technique, the less of your individual talent um, will, will, will show. I mean, it's good to learn a few tricks. I mean, you, you hear stories like Keith Richards learning how to do um, uh, play five string on you know, guitar and different tunings and all that stuff. But basically, just just pick it up if you have the ears, and you could you could find the notes on, a, on an instrument or the beat on a drums or whatever it is. I mean, uh, I, I just got on, um, on the piano uh, and just, just, just played by hearing this, this, and this makes a chord. And, you know, and, and, and uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a Mozart, I'm not a genius, um, uh, but if you could hear it and it sounds right, um, then you've 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 learnt your own way of doing something, and um, um, that's that that's how for music. As far as as far as life goes, as far as um, uh, a um, a uh, a lesson to, to 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 take with you when you're out and about is um, don't be religious. Don't listen to anybody telling you that there's a reason for doing something that you think doesn't sound right or inhibits you from doing something. And uh, I guess what I am saying is uh, I am... I'm not even... Agno I, th I used to think I was agno agnostic, but I'm not even... I'm totally um, against religion because I've seen too many people um, uh, just hold back 
part of their life because of um, following religious rules um, and you know just live by your own standards I, I, I don't need a Bible to tell me that to kill somebody is is wrong or to I mean when I when I going back now over 40 or more years about Vietnam I just knew it was wrong you know it wasn't because um, uh, I just knew it was wrong to kill somebody I would my dad was was a famous was 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 a, was a big hero during the Second World War that was a different war a different type of war he came from a large family the one of the largest families nine brothers my dad and eight uh, eight of his brothers were all in the service in the Second World War. My grandmother got the Mother of the Year Award um, uh, in, in, um, from Congress in 1945 and was presented the award by Eleanor Roosevelt, actually. Um, but, um, and so my dad, when I left the country, like I told you, um, in, 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 on the ship in, in 69, my dad was... 100% with me. My, my parents were great, and maybe that's why um, uh, I'm lucky. My parents, my, my dad never said, oh, you're, you know, afraid and you're, you're, you're yellow belly, you know, just for, you know, go fight for your country. No, you know, when you think something morally is wrong, don't do it, you know, don't go for it. Um, and um, if you think something is right, then then do it. Let your own your own way of interpreting what is um, um, right and wrong prevail, as opposed to somebody else. Mm. Today, today there's a lot of um, hesitancy about the um, the vaccine, and I've had a lot of. Um, a lot of um, um, very um, traumatic um, conversations with people and um, I have come from a scientific background regardless of all the nonsense with the drugs and the shit that I've taken I, I, I've went to college and I, I know the facts are much more real than the faith that people have. I mean, some people um, say, oh, their faith tells them not to do this or that. Um, and the facts are, if you if you don't take um, and get yourself vaccinated, you're being selfish. And I have a few friends where I don't, um, um, uh, I, I don't want to know anymore, you know, because they, they, they just don't believe. I mean, it's the facts are that um, we're, 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 this country is lucky when you think about what's going on but then I think we're getting off the subject <laughs> Just lastly, because I'm always curious was your dad or any of his brothers, were they ever based in on any of the sort of the Second World War aerodromes in England? What was the last word? Aerodromes? Yeah, you know, airfields, because there was all the American air bases in the Second World War, which I was just, I suppose I grew up in a village that had a Second World War aerodrome, and that was kind of our playground. No. I was just kind of curious if you're, if you're no. stationed in here. No, my dad, 
all the other all my other uncles they're all gone now and I love them all um, three of them were in the Navy two of them were in Pearl Harbor um, the others were in um, uh, in in um, ground um, army or um, but my dad was the only one in the Air Force and he was um, in the Flying Tigers he was in the um, famous Flying Tigers in, in uh, the CBI the uh, China Burma India campaign against the Japanese um, in so he would fly from America to I don't think he went to London I don't know where he he went uh, but I know he didn't he wasn't based here he was based in um, um, uh, in um, uh, in China and in uh, Burma, right. and, uh, and he was in the he was in the Pacific Theater. Yeah. So, so no, no, I don't, um, I don't have any um, uh, anybody that I know from the family. Um, but then again, that's my dad's side. My mum's side, also a large family. Um, I don't think anybody was in the Air Force or anybody was in any Air Force. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, look, Mike, this has been great. Well, thank you ever so much for this. Yeah. This has been brilliant. And um, I've got quite a lot there. So that's all good. So when I um, do this, I can always send you the link and you can always use it or post it on your, I don't know, you've got various sites, haven't you? Well, I'm, um, I'm trying to, um, trying to write my memoirs. I'm trying to get us, I'm trying to get it all together. I've got, so much to write about and so much um, history but um, I haven't found a, uh, a way of what I want to do is write my memoirs in such a way that because my dad was the photographer for his he was, he was um, also always filming this is from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s so and I've got from him the whole history of, of my of my family um, uh, in black and white and color and, and even me as a teenager in Brooklyn um, in the pools uh, you know loads of stuff and I'd like to make it so that I could take little pictures here little um, little I've got my dad has got um, and I, I, I've had the, the film um, cleaned and transferred my very first bath <laughs> there's me, my mum bathing me, um, July 7th. I was only a few days old, uh, 1947. So, I mean, you know, like little things like that. I'm looking for a, uh, a program, WordPress or something, where I could make a book and I could change it, where everything flows nicely, like you're looking at a book, flows around, and then if you click on something, up comes the, um, the little video, a little snap, of here, there's me in the pool in, in, in Brooklyn, playing with the, we had a poodle, uh, there's me, um, you know, doing things here and there, so, uh, I, 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 but, you know, to be honest with you, it's, it's overwhelming, and I don't know how, or if, like my friend that was just here before was filming, he's filmed so much of, of the things in the last couple of years, because uh, he just lives uh, two doors down, but it would take me like 50 years, the way I write, to write 50 years of, of, of my life, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so it's, it's, very, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Having that kind of discipline and then editor and having a deadline. I think it's always good to have a deadline, isn't it? I've got, I've got, I've been blessed 
I call it a blessing. I've been blessed with ADHD. And it's my creative spark because I, when I write, if I write something to somebody, it's like pages long when it could just be literally a couple of sentences. Um, uh, and so I write and I write and I just put it away and I put it away. But to put it together, because ADHD is great in a way. I mean, I could, I could wake up in the middle of the night and I've written a song in my, in my dream and I'll, I'll jot it down. I, and I mean that. I've done that. And um, uh, stories and things like that. But to put it all together, to connect the dots, is something that I, I haven't been able to do. And nobody's been able to control me enough to, when I say control, in order to discipline me or, 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 or help me coordinated I have so many th stories that you, you you just cannot believe how many more stories and I just have like little bits here and there and, and it's it's it it's frustrating yes it's frustrating so I wish you luck what are you planning to do with this is this going to be on a, when you say you have a radio show is oh, this going to yeah, so I've got a radio and I sort of put this as a sort of a podcast as well which I kind of archive and people you know, you wouldn't believe how people just love to listen to these stories, you know, from all over the world. So, you know, it's always interesting response because people will hear them and they go, bloody hell, I remember that band. So it's, mm. it's good, but um, it's, yeah, we'll keep in touch anyway. And thanks for okay. your time. And uh, it's been brilliant. I'm going to have to go to bed soon. Oh, really? Well, it's <laughs> only looking at what? It's, are you serious? It's 10.30. <laughs> Oh, poor man. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you want your milk and cookies as well? I <laughs> some... my milk and cookies. <laughs> I'm first getting started now. When I finish this, because I do my own radio for um, a station in Los Angeles, and um, uh, it's due tomorrow, and so I'm going to start putting my... my, oh, do, my... You do you archive all your shows? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I save them. When you say archive, um, they're, they're there, but I don't have a, um, uh, a collection somewhere. They're just on my computer. I should really put them out. I mean, I've got hundreds of shows. Hundreds. I mean, I've done shows of uh, college radio, and I did, I did um, two I did it, no, not two years. I did a year in, in Wolverhampton, WCR. Wolverhampton Campus Radio. I had a fan club. I, I got loads of stuff from Radio Caroline. I mean, there's really stuff, uh, all kinds of stuff in 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 drives and hard drives and soft. Oh man, you need to you need to put those and put them on Mixcloud. Well, I don't know. I'm afraid. Uh, I don't know anybody. I'll probably just leave it up to people like yourself uh, to. Um, archive what I have to say and um, the rest of it will just go when I go you know I, I what can I say I can't I can't hire anybody to say hey listen I have got up in my I live in a big old house here it's a big old um, Victorian house with three floors and on the top landing I built a special platform I have got hundreds of tapes of master tapes multi-track tapes quarter-inch tapes one off I mean you know I've got I've got videos I got boxes of videos 
and, and you know, I've got, I have, I have got all different formats from VHS to video eight to mini DV to this that I have all the different machines I have it all lined up with a big machine upstairs really powerful i7 machine with two big screens and I got all the players all lined up and I then move on to something else and I, I just can't ADHD is is can be great and it could be I can't tell you how frustrating it because it just you can't I can't stick to one thing long enough to, 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 to finish it you know if I told you I, can you see behind can you see all this green screen yes I've got um, uh, I've got three green screens all here I've got um, um, a whole I made with wood all these I have six cameras all around and what I want to do is make a live um, 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 a show and just do it live with green screens and um, and and show videos and and play music and just do it live, just like I'm doing it now with you and just do it live. But um, then the pandemic came and I just gave up and I moved on to other things. Yeah. Listen, I don't I don't want to keep you from your um, your bedtime. No, but I, um, I might. Do you? We know. Just I'm curious with your your the radio show you're going to record later. Do you? Do you send it as a file to the to the station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, if it's I possible, it. You, is it possible to send me a copy and then I can have a listen? Yeah. Okay. Well, I got, I got hundreds. Uh, I could send you one. Oh, yeah. That's magic. I'd love to hear it. I'll, so, I, I'll, so, I'll send you Helter Skelter. That's the one I call because I give different names and it's one that I, one of my favorite ones. I did a couple of months ago. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that straight away. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Have a good. I'll keep in touch. But thanks a lot, Mike. Okay. Take you care. take care. Cheers. Bye bye. And there you go. I know the quality was a bit hit and miss at times, but I think it was the, it was fine. You could hear Mike. I was a bit quiet. But what's new? Anyway, look, this has been David Eastall, the Sadie Six Show. A massive thank you to Mike Spencer from the Cannibals and also the other band, the Count Bishops. And um, yes, that's it. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. These have all been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. So that's it. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.